0: This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church in Lubbock, Texas. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com. dot com. Been talking about the end, talking about eternity. Got about two more weeks left. I believe this is significant that we hear this, and we'll tell you this: this isn't always easy to hear, but I don't believe church was always meant to be easy. I think there's times we just got to hear the truth, and the truth will set us free. So, in saying that, if you need a Bible, get your hand up, because I want you to see the truth. Get the Word in your hand, and go with me to the book of Ecclesiastes 3. Ecclesiastes 3, you say, what are those shirts you guys are wearing? Well, we're going to give you an opportunity to get one after the service is over, so we'll have some announcements on that. Bless all of you. Let me read you a definition of the word eternity as you're turning to Ecclesiastes 3. The definition of eternity is infinite time. The state of existing outside of time. And when we talk about eternity, it's not subject to time. So as human beings, we have a difficult time understanding that or comprehending that because as human beings, we deal with seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, and years. But when we talk about eternity, it's very hard for us to grasp it. I believe today we need it to have the Lord speak to our hearts today, and you've got to grasp this and get a hold of it, because this will change your life. Here it is in Ecclesiastes 3, and in this chapter he talks about there's a time for everything. Now I'm going to read starting in verse number 11. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. He, Father God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put, he has planted, or he has set eternity in their hearts. Now, I believe every one of us, our, our DNA that comes from God, there's something on the inside that he sets eternity in every one of us. Now, whether we realize that or not, God put something in there. And he ends this, this verse here and says, he's put eternity in their hearts except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. Now, every one of us in this life, we will never completely be satisfied or fulfilled with the things of this earth, possessions or pursuits, because nothing compares to eternity. Now, I want to read one more verse in that chapter, verse number 14. I know that whatever God does, it'll be forever or final. Nothing shall be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear before Him. So in saying that today, I I pray that there's a fear of God comes upon us today. I pray that the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes upon us today. And get ready today because the truth will set you free, but this can be eye-opening. Now, turn with me to the book of Mark chapter 10. Mark 10, as you're turning there, let me ask you this. What is God God in your life today? Is it eternity or is it just the temporal? And we'll begin to see some truths and you'll begin to see the pattern of what we're talking about over and over here. Now as you're turning to Mark 10, let me set the table with what's going on. There was a rich young ruler and he came to Jesus and trying to be smart, he said, What do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus lists a bunch of things to him. And he says, I've done all those since my early childhood. And Jesus said to him, he said, one thing you lack. Sell all your goods and give to the poor. And in that passage, Jesus himself ultimately says, pick up your cross and follow me. So was he telling him part of picking up my cross and following the Lord was to be good to other people? I believe so. And then he ends and he says, it was very difficult for this man because he had great wealth. Now we're going to start in in Mark 10, verse 23. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Now he didn't say how impossible it was. He just said how hard it is for people who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 24, and the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Now his words in verse 23 and his words in verse 24 are different. He said in verse 23, those who have riches. In verse 24 he said, those who even trust in riches. And so what ultimately begins to happen here with Jesus' words is people begin to look more at what they have to satisfy them than into looking at what God says. In other words, he's saying, you can't be self-reliant. You can't get where you think, well, only God, or the riches of this world, not God, can answer the, the things I need in this life. And I believe when you look at this in our society right now, Wealth is one of the greatest idols that we have to battle. Every one of us in this room at one time or another have said this, if only I had more money. If only I had more of this. I believe that's the first idol in America. The second idol, I believe, is sports. And you look at how much money is spent on sports in America right now. Is God, is He against that? No. But when sports dominate our livelihood, You think about all the billions, and I said billions, that's spent on the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball. It's astounding. And God's not against those things. He's just against those things. When those things try to fill the void in our lives that only God can fill. Now look what he goes on to say in this passage. And it's interesting. The first two verses we read, both of them have to do with eternity. Verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this was literally a myth that was talked about, but just think about a camel trying to go through the eye of the needle. Very, very difficult. And when you read this, the Jews themselves, they saw wealth as a mark of God's favor. And they thought that it was downright inconceivable that riches could hinder anyone from going to heaven. So this was a culture shock for them when Jesus said this. Verse 26. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And the point here is, human achievement can save nobody. I don't care how much you have, I don't care how smart you are, That cannot save you, only Jesus. And he ends in this verse, or this passage, and he says, But Jesus looked at them and said, With men, or humanly speaking, it's impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. So this episode is a sad example of what can happen to people when they begin to trust more in material goods than trusting in the living God. Now, you're going to begin to see this pattern all through this morning, exactly what Jesus was talking about here. Remember in Matthew 16, 26, Jesus said, you can gain the whole world and lose your soul. So go with me, and I want to give you a first hand illustration of how this looks this morning. Look in Luke chapter number 16. Luke 16. And as you turn there, man, I've got to let the Scriptures teach me today. Let the Word of God speak to your heart in this. This is a passage here, we'll begin in verse 19, Luke 16, verse 19. It said, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple. Now, purple always had to do with royalty. And in fine linen or the best. And he fared sumptuously, or he lived in luxury every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, at this rich man's gate, on a daily basis. Verse 21, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Now when I read that, it's not a real pleasant picture. But there was this beggar named Lazarus, who it says his desire wasn't that this man gave him money. Wasn't this his desire that this man gave him his car? He said that his desire was that he be fed with the crumbs that fell off his table. He was in need of food. And so his body's in such bad shape that as they would lay him at this rich man's gate day by day by day, the dogs in the neighborhood would congregate around him and literally lick his sores. And as I read that, you understand real quick, that this rich man must have seen him day after day after day after day. But it didn't move him. Verse 21 22. So it was that the beggar, Lazarus, died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Now to a Jew, Abraham's bosom here suggests the honored place in paradise is what this is talking about. And that is, this beggar Lazarus received a a seat right next to Abraham. Now, this shocked the Jews. They could hardly stand this thought. And then it goes on to say, the rich man also died and was buried. So there's a truth here for every one of us. If Jesus doesn't come back before every one of us die, which we'll all die, it's not if we'll die, it's when we'll die. This is what's going to happen. Every one of us in this room will die. And we'll experience eternity in one of two places. Look real close here now, verse 23. And being in torments or great pain or agony in Hades, the place of the dead, he, the rich man, lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now this was a place of eternal torment or pain. And when you look at this, this literally rocked the theology of the Pharisee that a beggar could be rewarded, but this rich man is sentenced to eternity in hell? Now I want you to hold on to a thought right here. When it said that the rich man lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham and Lazarus, Keep that thought in your mind, because I want to highlight that here in just a second. Verse 24. Then he cried the rich man and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented or in agony in this flame. Now if you'll note there, he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. As well and as great as a man of God, Abraham was, he didn't have the power or the authority to give this man a drink of water. And if he didn't have the power and authority to give this man a drink of water, he sure didn't have the power and authority to save anybody. So the only way you're going to get to heaven is through the Lord and Savior, Jesus. Now, in this passage, some things really begin to jump out at me. We see this wealthy man. He's in this place called hell. But while he's in this place called hell, he still has the process of reasoning. He still has emotions. And to a certain degree, his his instincts or his senses are still intact. How do we know that? Well, number one, it says that he could see Abraham and Lazarus from a distance. Now, if he could see them, you know what that tells me? That when we get to heaven, that we're all going to resemble how we look physically, even though we won't have this physical body. In other words, you're going to be able to distinguish people. When I see Anthony in heaven, I'll know that it's Anthony. But if you'll note in here, that not only could he see them, he was aware of them. And he said he was in this place of torment. How did he know he was in place of torment? He must have been able to feel or sense something that he recognized that. And then ultimately he said this, let him dip his finger on my tongue to cool it. So right there shows me That he had a sense of feeling. Now here's a point I really want to make about that. That's not for a day. That's not for a week. That's not for a month or a year. That's for eternity. This is what people that go to hell will experience right here. And it's not a pleasant thought to me. It's not an easy thought for any of us in this room. But this is the seriousness of this. And Jesus here wasn't just giving us a little story to talk about. He's actually given us a real event that will take place. Verse number 27. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and likewise Lazarus' evil things But now he is comforted and you are tormented. Now let me highlight something here. Wealth does not automatically condemn one to hell. And poverty does not automatically send one to heaven. The way that I spend eternity in hell will be based on my relationship that I have with Father God and the Lord Jesus. However, a lot of times the very possessions we have, locate our attitude. In other words, if I have the, the, the attitude or the mentality, I'm better than you, I'm more important than you, I'm a more value than you, a lot of times it's because I have money or I have prestige and I think, I'm above you. That's not the truth. And this right here just gives us an example. Now keep reading verse 26. Jesus' words, and besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. What does that mean? Well, when you look at this, Jesus emphasizes here that there's a chasm that separates the ones in heaven from the ones in hell. But there's no indication or no hint that this will ever be changed or reversed. So when we hit the place in our life called the end, whether that's we die physically or Jesus comes back, wherever I go to eternally at that moment, that's it. So he goes on to say, and besides all this between us and you, there's a great fix so that those who want to pass from here to you, they cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then the rich man said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. So the rich man now, he begs and he says, would you send him? Who did he say send him to his his house? The beggar himself. So the one who begged on this place called earth, the roles are now completely changed. And he said to him, he said, Would you send them to my father's house? Why? For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Now, if hell isn't such a bad place, why did this rich man not want any of his brothers to join him? If you'll notice what he said, to this place of torment. It's not a pleasant place. And when you begin to read this, you begin to look and and think, well, why then did he not say to Abraham, send me back so I can tell my own brothers? They'll believe me, I'm their own brother, because I believe this man knew I'm eternally damned to this place. I'll never get out of here. He knew it. How many of you have ever heard this statement? Misery loves company. If that's the truth, then why didn't it apply right here? Why didn't he want his brothers or his comrades to come join him? The reason is this, is he knew this was a place of torment, and this was a place that there would be no relationships or no fellowship eternally. Forever. Whoo, this is tough, isn't it? But we got to hear this stuff. Keep reading, verse 29. And Abraham said to him, They have Moses and they have the prophets. Let them hear them. So who was Moses and who was the prophets? Well, Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. And the prophets are the ones that wrote the other ones. And so right here, Jesus was telling them, Listen, boys. They don't need this guy come back. They just need to learn to, to, to believe the Word of God. Let God be true and every man a liar. Now, he gets in it a little more deep, in detail in verse 30, and he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And so what he was talking about here is he was wanting his brothers to have an extraordinary sign or an extraordinary experiment. Though right here, he said, no, all they need is the word of God. You know why? It's because I can't live off of signs and wonders. Signs and wonders, they come and go. But the only thing that will never change is the word of God. See, experiences can complement the Word of God, but they can never take the place of the Word of God. That's why it's so important that not only we read this book, we fall in love with this book. That this is my blueprint. This is my life vein. That everything that I'll need is right here in this book. And so right here, Jesus was literally correcting it and saying, Listen, guys. It's not about signs and wonders. Now look how he goes forward here, or ends in verse 31. But he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded to listen through one rise from the dead. Now the Pharisees, they always wanted a sign. If you go back and look, when Jesus was on the earth, they'd always say, show us a sign, show us a sign. Think about this right here with just what Jesus said. Jesus himself died on the cross and he rose from the dead and they still wouldn't believe in him. They still wouldn't heed it. And so Jesus was right here was telling them, listen guys, it's not in the signs and wonders once again, it's in the word. You got to get a hold of it. Now this isn't pleasant. But I cannot live for eternity or prepare for eternity carelessly. In other words, you're not going to fluke eternity. To go to heaven, it's not going to be by accident or not going to be by chance. It's going to be when I live by the word of God and say, Father God, I ask your son Jesus to come into my heart and be Lord of my life and then I obey Him, and I live for Him every day of my life. And when I blow it as a human being, which you will, I repent. And it's interesting right here that in verse 30, this guy who was in hell, he said, if you'll send one back to my brothers, they'll repent. This guy who's in hell, he understood what it meant to repent, that I confess my sin, but i got to live for Jesus. And he understands eternally he's damned in a place that's full of torment. But he said, get back to the earth so my brothers will repent. See, I believe that's a highlight from Jesus telling me and you. Repent. Repent. Now, go with me for one more passage to the book of Revelations chapter 3. Revelations chapter 3. You know, I... I'm aware of the difficulty in hearing this. But nowhere can I find where Jesus said, let's just go to church and let it just be fun. And let it be easy. You know, let's all just sit around and sing Kumbaya. I I wish that was the truth, but the more I read this stuff is I, I sense the severity of what Jesus is trying to get across to us. And I've had people numerous in the last few weeks since we've been on this said, man, you're really intense about this. I, I don't know if it's intense or not, but I don't want people to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. And I've got to heed what he said. Now, I encourage you in the upcoming week, this is your homework assignment. Read Revelation 2 and Revelation 3. And in that passage, Jesus addresses seven churches in seven different cities. Let me just tell you about some of the churches real quick. One was the loveless church. The second one was the persecuted church. The third one was the compromising church. The fourth one, the corrupt church. The fifth one, the dead church the sixth one, the faithful church, and we cruise into Revelations 3, verse 14, and this is the one I want to hit today. I encourage you to read every one of those, because in every one of them, he talks about eternity in there. And in every one of them, he ends almost exactly the same way, and when we get to the end of this passage, you'll see how he emphasizes a couple things. So we pick up here, Revelations 3, verse 14 and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. So he's writing to a church in a place called Laodicea. Laodicea was a very arrogant and prideful city. It was a very affluent city. It had a major banking industry. It had a medical school. Keep reading. These things, says the Amen which is the God of truth, the faithful and the true witness, the guarantee of all God's promises, and the beginning of the creation of God, which is the Lord Jesus. Verse 15. I know your works, your deeds, or the way that you live, and that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So you know what Jesus is telling me right here? He's saying... I wish you were either cold or I wish you were hot. Verse 16. So then, because you are lukewarm. Now, he's talking about lukewarm from a spiritual sense. And as we read further here, you'll begin to see that lukewarm to Jesus is not only distasteful, it's disgusting. What would be the definition of lukewarm right here? Well, I believe it's an in-between state. It's a half-hearted state. In other words, I'm a saint on Sunday, but I'm a sinner on Monday. It's a state that we try to blend in. That if I'm around the world, I look, I smell, I taste, and I act like the world. But if I'm at church, I act like the Christian's. So really, that's 2 Timothy 3, 5. We take on a form of Christian, but the power's denied. Now, look what he says about this thing called lukewarm right here. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, when I read that, this says right here that Jesus himself Views a half-hearted Christian, his actions and the way he lives as disgusting. He gets to a point right here. Verse 17. Because you say, I am rich and become wealthy. Uh Uh-oh. But the rich and the wealthy is not the issue. Okay? Okay. Look at what the issue is, and Jesus identifies and says, because you say you're rich and have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. That's the issue. Because what ultimately happens is when you're rich and you have everything, you're of need of nothing. You know why? When you've got an issue in your life, you can go pay for it. You can go buy it. And so ultimately you're saying, because I have wealth and I have money, I don't need you. Thank you for that whistle. This is crazy good in a good way. That he's locating us here. See, when I read that, once again, I want to highlight, is God against you having riches and wealth? No. He is against when riches and wealth start controlling me. And so what ultimately happens is a place called comfort. Is Jesus against me having comfort? No. But he is against me having comfort without commitment. When my comfort pulls me away from Him and I turn my back on Him or I come into church and, you know, I want to sing about Jesus and I want to come in here and be all lovey-dovey, but when I leave, I have no need of you. Or when I come around Jesus, all it is for me to be with Jesus is to say, I need this, 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 and this, and this. So, we keep reading here. And they have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now he's talking spiritually. And he's saying right here, you're oblivious. Now this is no different to me than the rich man in Luke 16. And if I don't heed this, this is a recipe for hell. Wow, that's strong, isn't it? I believe he's wanting to get, get us, He's getting us to a place where we've got to get this. Verse 18. He said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire that you may be rich. You know what that's talking about? When you refine gold, it brings all the impurities to the top, and they skim that off, and then you know what you got? You got the real deal. And so he's saying right here, I want to purify your heart. I want to get all the scum off of your heart," goes on to say, "and white garments that you may be clothed. That's righteousness. That the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. You know what that is? Sin. That he's saying repent again, and then he ends with this: "And anoint your eyes with eye that you may see." And so he's saying that the eyes of our understanding be enlightened, where I begin to see the truth of the Word of God. Now, these are spiritual treasures. Verse 19, get this, this is powerful. As many as I love, I rebuke. As many as I love, I correct. As many as I love, I chasten, I discipline. To those he loves. Therefore, be zealous. Now that word zealous, or the word zeal itself, is a passion. And I believe he's telling us in here, I want to ignite you. I want to spark a passion within you. For what? The things of God. And note how he ends all this. And repent. What was the cry of the man that's tormented in hell for his brothers? Send Lazarus back so my brothers will repent. And here Jesus echoes this again. Repent and turn from your wicked ways. Verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. It doesn't say that Jesus comes to the door and he kicks it in. You know what that tells me? Jesus is not going to force himself upon one of us. None of us. But by him coming to the door and knocking, you know what that tells me? He's still pursuing us. Just as we sang. If he didn't want to pursue us, he wouldn't even knock. He would say, Pfft, on all of you. But he still pursues us. Now look what it goes on to say. If anyone hears my voice, and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. now once again, right near, he's addressing a complacent church, but when it says that he knocks and if anyone opens, he wants to come in and dine with us. you know what that means? He wants to have fellowship with you, he wants to have a relationship with you. so this is what I begin to see. When we hang out with Jesus, it isn't we just come into his presence and saying, I want this and I want that and I need this and I need that. And that may be your prayer life. But Jesus is saying, I want you to take the time to come and dine with me. To come and sit at my feet and fellowship with me that I'm just not, excuse my expression here, I'm just not a sugar daddy in the sky to bail you out. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to know you in an intimate way. Do you know in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, there were two women named Mary and Martha. Martha got caught up in the things of the world where she was serving, and she was so busy, and she said, Lord, Tell my sister to get in here and help me. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, Mary has found the good thing. The one thing that's needed, and you know what it was? To come to my feet and hear the word. And I know every one of us are busy. We live in a society that's spelled G-O. Go, go. Man, I mean, we are on a dead sprint everywhere. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Man, we are busy. Never in the history has mankind been so busy. But yet am I too busy to pull up a chair and just sit at Jesus' feet and say, Lord, I love you. I need you today. And when I read this, This is the heart cry that I hear Jesus saying to me. I want your heart. Now, these last two verses in this chapter. Verse 21 and 22. He says this to all seven churches. To him who overcomes... I will grant to sit with me on my throne. As I also, or just as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Now, the word overcome there is military terminology. And Jesus said, just as I've overcome, you're going to have to overcome. Well, what did Jesus overcome? Jesus overcame sin. He overcame the devil. He overcame the appetites of his flesh. And you know what he's saying? Listen, if you'll get on my back, I'll piggyback you. I'll help you the same way I overcame. You can overcome. But there's no thing in there saying you just got to lay down in a fetal position and put your spiritual thumb in your mouth and say, Oh, Jesus, come get me quick. Man, i got to get a hold of the name of Jesus. Now, when the Bible says the fight, the good fight of faith, that's what he means. That this is a fight and there are things every day, the lust of the flesh, the lust of my eyes, the pride of life that are pulling on every one of us every day. And I say, huh, in the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus. Now, he ends with this. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Every one of them, he, he ends with that. To him who has ears to hear. Now, once again, you've heard me say this. I can look around the room. And every one of you in here got two ears. So the issue wasn't my ears. The issue was, do I heed what he's saying? And this is the point Jesus was making again and again and again. And if I have issues where the desires of wealth are pulling me from the things of God, I better heed this. And I look in my own life. And I would venture to say, every one of us in this room, one time or another in our life, have thought this or said this. If I just had more money. If I just had a better car. And so we can fill in the blanks with if. But I don't believe the things, the riches of this world were the answer. I believe it was hanging out with Jesus and saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to live for you. I don't want to be consumed with the things of this world. I don't want it to dominate me. Now, here's the thing we get into, and I'll end with this. Crossing my fingers. You know what it means when a pastor says we're going to end with this? Absolutely nothing. I'm just kidding. I'll quit. The dilemma, every one of us in this room have is right here. I I can become so earthly conscious that I'm no heavenly good. Or I can become so heavenly conscious that I'm no earthly good. And so like I said, the dilemma we come in is this right here, that I live in this place called earth even though eternally I'm going to be in heaven. And so it's a balancing act here. And I believe God understands that. But He's saying this right here. You can't be like a teeter-totter and look like this or like this. That he understands. Every one of us tomorrow, you're going to have to go to work. I wish I could give you the day off, but I can't. So guess what? We're going to have to go to work. We're going to have to do those things. But then again, Jesus is saying, don't forget to dine with me. Now even in my marriage, me and Shelly will go out to dine. And I'm not real romantic. I mean, on our... Anniversary, we would go to Dairy Queen, and I would allow her to supersize stuff. There's a lot of truth to that. But I think about and just just use this analogy: whether it's with your wife or your husband, whoever. When you go out to dine, it, it's not all evening. But I do make the effort. I do take the time. And it's the same with the Lord. He said, man, I want to hang out with you. I just want you to come and and, and tell me how awesome I am. I just want you to fellowship with me. Stand on your feet. Thank you for listening to the podcast. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com.